What's your favorite way to learn? I like graphic novels because I can see who's talking. My grandma reads the newspaper to me. I like movies on TV. I play learning games on my dad's tablet. I like reading plain old regular books with lots of detail. This is Worlds Awaiting, helping children read, write, see, speak, think, and listen. Here's our host, Rachel Wada. Today, I'd like to share with you some of my favorite children's books featuring dogs. When I was a young girl, one of my favorite dog books was Jean Zion's book, Harry the Dirty Dog. Harry is a small white dog with black spots. But one day after he goes out, he gets really dirty. Coming home, his family does not recognize him because now he looks like a black dog with white spots. So what's a dog to do, especially when he's a dog who hates baths? Well, he has to dig up his scrub brush and get wet. I have fond memories of this book, and it has a really strong message for kids that sometimes we have to do something we don't really like, like take a bath, in order to get something that is really important, like love with our family. Another great dog appears in Peggy Rathman's 1996 Caldecott Medal-winning picture book, Officer Buckle and Gloria. Officer Buckle is tasked with giving all the schools a speech about safety. But the officer is not very entertaining, and most of the time the children fall to sleep. That is, until Gloria the dog joins him and begins acting out the safety tips herself. The duo is a hit, that is, until Officer Buckle realizes who the star is and must learn that collaboration is a better way to help kids learn. Of course, I really can't talk about dog books without giving a shout out to the excellent classic Go Dog Go by P.D. Eastman and Sandra Boynton's classic board book, Doggies. But to end my recommendations today, I'd like to highlight a book that focuses on the special role that service dogs play in the lives of those who really need them. One book I love about this special relationship is Tuesday Tucks Me In, The Loyal Bond Between a Soldier and His Service Dog. Told as if the dog was speaking, this book takes you through a typical day for a service dog, showing just how important this special dog is for the health and well-being of his wonderful owner. So if you're looking for a few friendly dogs that are not going to kick up anyone's allergies, check out these great dog books from our recommendation here at Rachel's World. When children experience difficulty, loss, or pain, They often look for help and comfort from someone who understands, someone who has been there. The best books will often bring us characters who have also been there. Our first guest today on Worlds Awaiting, children's book author Kate D. Camillo, talks about the characters she creates, some of them very close to home and with experiences similar to hers. D. Camillo is a number one New York Times bestselling author and two-time winner of the Newbery Award. Titles such as Because of Winn-Dixie and The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane have resonated with readers of all ages around the world. Her latest book, Ramey Nightingale, is a National Book Award finalist. Here's Rachel and Kate D. Camillo. I am ecstatic to be chatting today with Kate D. Camillo. She is a two-time Newbery Medalist winner. Welcome, Kate. Well, hello, and thank you for talking to me, and thank you for being a reader. I am so honored. I am just giddy to talk to you today. I love your work, and I hope that my listeners will check that out. So tell us a little bit maybe about your newest work. 
So the newest novel is uh, is Ramey Nightingale, which is um, the story of a girl named Ramey Clark who enters the Little Miss Central Florida Tire Contest uh, in an effort to bring her father back home. And she becomes friends with two other girls, one Beverly Topinski, who's kind of a tough character, and Louisiana Elefante, who um, kind of like floats through the world. And these three girls form a really intense friendship. So, I, I you know, I, I think it's a book about hope, and, and it's a book about friendship. And also, even though it's got this serious subject matter, it, um, I think it's funny. At least people laugh when I read from it, so... Well, I I found my laughter and my tears coming out when I read it because it does have that beautiful kind of bittersweet some points, but also some very humorous points and just a beautiful book about friendship, I think, as well. It, it's one of one of my favorites of this year. Oh, well, thank you so much for reading it. It makes me so happy. Well, I hope all of our listeners read it, too, because I think that they will entirely enjoy it. And we were chatting as we entered the conversation um, off air that one of my favorites of yours is Bink and Golly. So maybe share a little bit about that with our listeners. <laughs> so Bink and Golly, uh, or I guess you would call them easy readers, Um and it's a, the story of a, 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 a short girl, Bink, and a tall girl, Golly. And um, as I was saying to you, I, I am a short girl, and I am very much Bink. There's a wonderful illustration in the first one where Bink is trying to put on her roller skates and kind of like fighting with them, um, and that's me. I, every you know every physical act is difficult for me, and th- there's also this we were, we were laughing about when Bink orders the Acme Stretchomatic, which is supposed to make her taller, um, and uh, that that's me too. Although I've given up, I I'm short and I'm getting shorter. I'm just going to have to give in to it. You just accept it. That's that's the way life is sometimes. Right. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things I love about your work, Kate, is just the great characters. You do characters so well. You bring characters to life. You engage with characters in some way. And we've talked about two of your characters, Bink and Golly and then Raimi. But one of my other favorite characters of yours is Louise. So why don't you tell us, our listeners, a little bit about <laughs> Louise? Louise, the not-so-chicken chicken, a chicken who longs for adventure and um, she goes in that book, um, she goes off on three different adventures. And each adventure, she comes home and settles into the hen house um, and sleeps the sleep of the true adventurer. Yeah, I love uh, working with Louise because um, she's so much braver than I am. And it was just like, it was so much fun to like put her into the most ridiculous situations and watch her be clueless about them, you know. I love that. She she is a grand adventurer, but has that, that little sense of, of maybe it's not right, but I'm going to do, do it anyway. And I think that that's a right. great, it's, a great it's message. It's kind of like insouciance. She's yeah. got a certain insouciance. Yes, exactly. Oh, okay. So can I tell you, it was so much fun to talk to you. And thank you for, for believing in the power of story. It's just been great. Well, thank you so much. And I believe in your power of story to tell great things to kids. Thank you so much, Kate. Thank you. Take care. Award-winning children's book author Kate DiCamillo talking about the characters in her books, some with similar experiences to hers. Next, we'll hear from Erica Adams, a BYU elementary education student, who reviews Kate DiCamillo's book, Flora and Ulysses. 
Hi, my name is Erica Adams, and currently I'm studying to be an elementary school teacher. Through studying in this degree, I have the opportunity to read quite a bit of children's books to prepare to teach in the schools. So today I've decided to talk about my current favorite book, which actually won the Newbery Award in 2014, entitled Flora and Ulysses, The Illuminated Adventures by Kate DeCamillo. This book is a fun, laugh-out-loud book with some of the most unique characters and situations. Written to a mid-elementary school age to early middle school age kids, Flora and Ulysses has a fun, predominantly novel format intermittently mixed with some of the most hilarious comic-style graphic illustrations. In the book, the protagonist, Flora L. Buckman, who lives by the mantra, do not hope, instead observe, can always be found reading comic books, which drives her mom crazy. When life seems to be all out of hope, Flora randomly witnesses her neighbor accidentally vacuum up a squirrel. Bewildered by this occurrence, Flora rushes out to save the life of the squirrel, who luckily survives. However, through this near-death experience, the squirrel, who Flora has now named Ulysses after the vacuum, seems to have gained abnormal superpowers. Later, as Ulysses plays on Flora's mom's typewriter, he and all the characters in the book are shocked to find out that his superpower is writing poetry. One day, when Flora's mom and her have a blow-up, all seems lost in the broken Buckman home, but Ulysses' superpower comes to the rescue. This book is a heartwarming, fantastical story that kids can relate to, especially those who may be going through a family divorce. Flora, a girl who has lost all hope as a self-proclaimed cynic, trying to understand her parents' divorce, comes to be a little bit more of an optimist as she realizes her parents' unfailing love for her. This story has it all. It will make you laugh out loud and put a sustaining smile on your face through an encouraging, uplifting ending. Rachel now welcomes Jill Rudy, professional folklorist and scholar, back to Worlds Awaiting. Rudy shares tips on how we as parents and teachers can help our children engage in the many forms of writing. She is a professor in the BYU English Department who researches the history of American folklore scholarship, folk narratives, fairy tales in the media, family folklore, and foodways. Here's Rachel with Jill Rudy. We're with Jill today. Welcome, Jill. Thank you. You are a scholar, and you write, and you help your students at the university engage in a wide range of writing. So let's visit today a little bit about that, how, how you do your writing and about how you help your students engage with writing, because I think that can help us understand maybe how we as parents can help support our children in their writing. So so let's start with you as, as a scholar and a professor. How do you engage with writing? What is your process or how, how do you approach that kind of wide range of writing that you do? I think... When I think about my most daunting kind of writing, which is writing for publication, so scholarly writing, it um, it takes a little girding myself up to get it done. It's not necessarily um, easy. So deadlines actually are helpful for that. Um, I had a project this semester where I I could tell I wasn't going to hit the deadline, and so I worked with the editor to change it. And but then that. That made me give the time and space that I needed to get the writing done. So that's that's something I think to to remember about writing is that it it does take time and concentration. You you have to be able to research and prep and think and 
get something outlined and then mess around with it. And so that helps make it less daunting. But I think part of what what I need to remind myself when I get a little stressed about that kind of writing is to just remember all all of the ways that I am writing, how often I am figuring out some problem when I'm answering an email or when I am writing some sort of document to try to apply for a grant or something so I can have money for my research assistance. So there's thinking about different types of writing maybe is is helpful for me to recognize. I'm often using the very same principles, but there's higher stakes or more difficulty with some types of that writing than other types that I need to do. And so to enjoy how much I'm writing, but then maybe use that kind of enjoyment when it's less stressed to help when it feels a little more challenging. And I think that's really wonderful to see because if we take your personal experience as a scholar and extrapolate it to a as a parent or adults and, and guiding our children, that sense of time and space is also important in those contexts. And that sense of finding joy in it. And that understanding of there's so many different forms that we write in that each have value. I know your scholarly focus is folklore, and there's probably different kinds of writing that you do or different kinds of documentation in writing that you do with those types of approaches that you do in your folklore. So how are those different? How are those forms different for you as you approach your your research and writing? Um, And I'm going to start actually with one of the common principles, which is something I learned in my advanced writing class. So thank you to Eloise Bell for, for teaching me about rhetorical stance, which is that every writing situation should have a purpose and an audience, and therefore you you may adjust the voice or the way you write for those those different components. And so when the and maybe that's part of the, the challenge of the more scholarly writing is that the the tone has to be more more professional, a little bit more distanced. Um, but we're we're taught over years how to acquire that vocabulary and how how to to speak that language. And so, with that type of writing, the hardest thing is figuring out why. You know, what am I really trying to say, and how can I say it in this limited number of pages that I've got? Um, with I wish because because of my my background I don't have an I don't take or make enough opportunities to maybe write so that audience is quite limited so I I wish that I had more occasions to write for a, a wider audience where I would then be translating all of that jargon that I worked so hard to learn to kind of cl- clean that back to normal language and be able to to share that in, in maybe more of a, an essay format rather than a scholarly article format. Um, there are a few occasions when I've had reasons to, to do that kind of writing, but, but not enough. 
And I think that's a great tip in general is we do need to practice and we need to practice in all these different kinds of forms. And that's a challenge when we look at teenagers or young adults, particularly as parents or teachers who are working with them, is how to help them understand that. So how do you approach that as a professor, kind of making that leap of, I understand how this works, and now I've got to teach my students, these these young adults that are just starting out in college, that are still young and haven't learned this, how do I teach them to, to have some of these kinds of same skills that you would need to reach this this level of scholarship? So hopefully I, I remind them often to, to start thinking about what, what is the purpose and who am I, who am I writing for and then how should I sound. Um, and, and if they can't tell that, then they can ask. Um, they can ask me or I hope that that's what transfers, that they learn to, to ask other professors or teachers what, what, what their expectations are. Um, I one thing I love that, about writing instruction that has changed since I was a student is more focus on the process. We 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 really recognize that there are different components and that you can't just sit down and write perfectly and it's just going it's already in your head and it's just going to flow out perfectly onto the page and I think that's kind of how it felt like I was taught even in elementary school. Like I remember getting one one sheet of paper it has those big wide lines with the little dots in between but there was one sheet and that was really really stressful and so i love that now we think about the process and i my children heard about sloppy copies and so i i will tell my students give yourself lots of time and space and just your you don't have to have it perfect the first time do lots of sloppy copies and don't don't pressure yourself too much. Um, but then often I, we can't – we don't really know what, what we wanted to say till we get all through the end of that piece of writing. It's really often with students when, when I'm conferencing with them, I'm kind of confused. What is this really about? What are you trying to say about this book or this tradition you're studying? And then I get to the very end and I – here it is. It's, it's right here at the end but – it took us this long to figure it out, but now you can take it from the end and put it in the beginning, and then that will help us all know what what this whole thing is about. So getting getting all the way through, which means you give yourself time to to draft, none of this turning doing the whole thing the night before. But then maybe so often we know it's clear in our head, but when, when we put it on the page, it doesn't We've left a lot of gaps, and so I think being able to get feedback is something that's really helpful. And I agree that feedback, getting responses from readers is critical, but as the feedback giver, I guess, there there is a balance that you have to play there because you need to be critical, but at the same time not too critical. And I know sometimes parents or teachers can get overly critical about a piece of writing in a way that will provide a negative experience. So how do we balance that as the feedback giver to not be too critical, but yet be productively critical? I think this is where parents are really fortunate, because they aren't going to grade it. And so they probably should remember that they they aren't going to give that what we say would be the summative or the evaluative grade. They're, they're formative. They're helping 
get this thing formed. And so all they need to do, I think the the best response is to respond as a reader and and let let your child know, I loved this sentence. I love your word choice here. This is this is really working. But then say, I don't know what I don't know what you mean here. I I am not getting from this point to that point. What what can you tell me what what you were thinking? And then maybe that will help them be able to fill in some of the some of the gaps. And I like that sense of just being a critical reader. So we're looking at it in a critical way and then asking those critical questions. Of, I didn't really understand this. What did you mean here? Instead of saying, oh, this is wrong, we're we're asking for that dialogue to happen. Right. And, and you know, maybe it is. Maybe it's a sentence that really is worded very, in a very confusing way or it just is kind of stuffy. And so – it's it's not just saying everything you wrote is beautiful, my child. It's it really is responding in terms of whether whether you understood what they were doing or whether you have questions. And um, if you if you notice something that could be improved, I think that you need to mention that. And I think that's really important because that critical piece, I think, is one thing we don't always consider as part of writing that reader response and, and how are the readers going to respond to that. And it makes it, it just makes us better writers. So, I mean, particularly in your scholarly writing, you've probably worked with lots of editors who've given you that feedback. So how does that relationship work with you? And, and how do you take their feedback and incorporate it into your own writing? Often because I still am trying to figure out exactly what it is that I want to say, if their if their tone is is helpful, then I am very and and they they can write clear, because usually it is in writing that I'm getting their kind of response. If if they can guide me, and if I know that we're all working to make it better, then that's great. That's that's what you you want a reader before you're going to get more readers. Um, what's and I have never received a really scathing review, but I. I was just reviewing something, and I saw a review that another person had given this manuscript, and they were just harsh from the very first sentence. And that, I think, that person forgot the rhetorical stance because I don't think that the, the person who gets that feedback is going to be able to to really take it very well or do anything with it because it's it's just too too harsh for them to even understand what what they want to have happen. And I think that that's a great note to end on this sense of there's so much we can learn and we can grow, but not too critical, especially as a reader when we're working with others. Thank you so much for your time today, Jill. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Jill Rudy with some valuable ideas that can help our children engage in writing. We finish up the show today with Jenna Sawyer of the BYU Radio social media team who talks to me about where her love of books came from. I, I'm the youngest of six children. And I grew up in you know a very family-friendly household and all that gets tight-knit things and you know and I, um, I have parents who love books. They have this this love for um, reading and to experience different books and different authors and my dad is more fictional he likes the adventure and the you know all that stuff and my mom is more nonfiction. she likes to read about real stories that happen to real people and so kind of growing up underneath them I, I I have a lot of characteristics about me that are 
from my parents, but that's one of them is my love for for reading and for experiencing um, different books and different authors. And so I, I think it was definitely my parents who instilled in me that love of books and and more so my mom being the one who would, um, you know, turn the TV off and go pick up a book or if we go to a doctor's appointment, you know, you're going to have half an hour to wait. Go get a, go pick out a book out of our library. To read. Describe the book room in your house. Give us a description. Yeah, this is one of my favorite rooms in our house was... Um, it was just this floor to is it's a small room, but it's just floor to ceiling books, and it has benches on the sides. And so, on the left side is kind of my dad's more like you know religion based, gospel based books and his you know things going on. And then on the right side was all of the um, like fictional kid books. And there's like just organized. I can just see it now in my mind. There's just organized from kind of picture books, chapter books, or, you know, there's a section for my mom's, like, her favorite autobiographies, and it's just this floor-to-ceiling room that was just decked out with books, and I, could, I never had an excuse to not read, you know, it was always there in front of me. You may mentioned to me that uh, she'd do other things to encourage you to read. I always remember this about my mom. She, she just has this, like, childlike twinkle in her eyes when she picks up a book, and she flips through the pages from front to back and she'll just tell me all about it it's like she's reading it in that moment that she's flipping the pages and you know just taking it in and I don't know if she thought about it that way but as a as a kid growing up that's what I thought I was just like wow she just loves this book look at her just like thumb through these pages like it's the best thing ever and so it made me want to to read and to love something as much as she did and my dad as well you know he he traveled a ton for work and he was driving the entire time and so he would listen to books on tape just for hours and you would get through these novels and you know a couple days it was just amazing what are some of the books you read growing up I remember a lot of books from when I was younger like in elementary school and um, junior high the magic treehouse books I love those books I thought they were the funnest things they really introduced me to to chapter reading and to reading a book without pictures so much but still so adventurous and it allowed me to picture this this world that they would kind of go into. If you're not familiar with it, it's about kids who go into this magic treehouse and it transports them all over the time and space and it's just really magical. And I, and I learned a lot. I, I learned a lot from those books, so that was fun. Um, and as I got older, you know, I, I'm a little cliche girl, forgive me, but I loved the Hunger Games books when they came out. My my sister was like, one, I swear, she was one of the first people to hear about these books for like years before anyone else heard about them. And she just loved them. And she was just like, you have to read these. These are amazing. And those are one of the books that I would read all night. Just couldn't stop. I remember one time my I finished a book and the new one had come out just a couple days before and it was on the shelves. And my dad was like, he's like, you have to go find it. You have to go find the new one. He's like, here's some money. And like your your sister will take you, and you'll go to every bookstore until you find it. And we we got it. Isn't that marvelous? <laughs> yeah. Let you do the looking. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Okay, coming to when you said reading books all night. This is my final question for you. Okay. We call it sneaking a book into bed. Now your experience wasn't sneaking a book into bed. What it was something else. I, I have snuck books into bed, but I think my, my crowning sneaking moment was I remember, I think I was like 13 maybe or somewhere around there, and it was the Hunger Games, and we were in Texas with my 
visiting my sister because she had just had a baby. And we all decided to go out to dinner, and I was just in the throes of this Hunger Games book. I was just like, there is no way I'm putting this down. And so I snuck it with me in a purse, and I, like, took it into the restaurant. And luckily the tablecloths were just, like, perfect so where I could hide the book and just look like I was just, like, kind of keeping my eyes, like, not quite eye level to other people but (laughs) I just read that book the entire time I didn't touch my food or anything I just read and that was my I mean they caught on to me eventually because I'm usually pretty talkative but you know (laughs) that was my crowning moment (laughs) marvelous boy that's an amazing feat I don't know if I've ever heard of someone sneaking a a book into a restaurant that's funny and And not only with it to choose that over food too that's a big (laughs) isn't that something sounds like you love to read I do Jenna Sawyer of the BYU Radio social media team talking about her love of books instilled by her parents. Thanks for listening to Worlds Awaiting. Tune in Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. and weekdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio Sirius XM Channel 143 on the TuneIn app and at byuradio.org.